0: morning. Good morning. 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 We're in John chapter 5. have said this many times, if God can save me, he can save anyone. <laughs> At least I got one out there. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> kind of sets the standard, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, but I, I think about this as, as we see Jesus interacting with the invalids, you know? Jesus is in town for this festival. Instead of rubbing elbows with the high class, he's over there at the sheep gate with the outcast of society, with the ones that the the world has classified as invalid. That's me. That's me. He has told a man who has had a crippling disease for 38 years, he says, get up. He said, get up, take your mat and walk. And bam, just like that, this man is healed, completely healed. God spoke it, and it happened. Let's say that again. God spoke it, and it happened. He gets up, picks up his nasty bedding, and walks away. And what does this man do after he was healed? Well, he did exactly what any Jewish man would do after a healing like that. He goes to the temple and offers a sacrifice. Think about this. He doesn't know who who Jesus is. Hasn't been revealed to him yet. He's not sure who the man is who healed him. He doesn't know. But he does know that his healing had to come from God. It was a supernatural event that only God can do. He did know that much. This this man may have not had all the schooling that, quote, the teacher of Israel had, but he but he had the not, but he did have the knowledge that Nicodemus had when it came to supernatural events. What did Nicodemus say in John 3? Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that comes from God. He knew that. How did he know that? For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Supernatural signs or healings can only come from God. Amen? And they all point to Christ. So let's read our text. We're going to pick it up at the end of verse six here in chapter five. Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going in other steps down before me, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once this man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. verifiable miracle that has just happened. Everyone there knows that this man has not been able to walk for 38 years. And now they see him walking around the temple, but that's not what they, what they noticed. What stuck out was that he was carrying his mat. No one asked them, you know, Hey, how did this happen? You know, maybe they should have said, were you put into the stirring water? They didn't even ask that. There should have been a lot of other questions asked before they brought down condemnation on this guy. But they had an agenda. The Jews, that is the Jewish leader said, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. You know, this is where we start seeing the persecution of our Savior uh, taking hold. This is where we'll see where it grows. And our text will take us to the root of the problem that the Jewish people, that the Jewish leaders had with uh, uh, Jesus by the time we get through this chapter. But here, here's, here's what we have. We have a man that had been set free from bondage. He, he was no longer chained to his map. And instead of rejoicing in this man's freedom, what do the religious leaders do? What did they do? They imposed limitations on his newfound freedom they, they put him in another form of bondage he went from one form of bondage to another in the wink of an eye and how did they do that well they very quickly judged his failure in keeping their Sabbath they very quickly judged not knowing the whole story didn't ask questions they were quick to judge this man and you know, I have to point out, judging is such a destructive sin. It's such a blinding sin. You know, example here: they were judging this man, saying to him, "You are breaking the law." They themselves were not obeying God's God's clear command in the Old Testament about helping those in need. So, as they were judging, they were being they were blinded. They were not rejoicing with one who had been set free. They could only think about themselves and their legalistic ways. Blinded, they were. It's the old getting the speck out of your brother's eye while you have this big, huge log in your eye. You know, you know, when you got this big log right here, you, you can't see clearly anyways. You know, you're just making a, a wild guess when it comes to judging. And, you know, this type of behavior goes against everything that Jesus Jesus teaches. All they had for this man was condemnation. It is the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed, they said. They're lying on the Sabbath because that statement's not true. There's nothing in God's law to prohibit a person from carrying a mat on the Sabbath. God's law says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep, it, to, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. So carrying the mat on the Sabbath did not break any Old Testament law. So what law did this guy break? Well, he broke the Pharisees' legalistic application of God's command. Here it is carrying something on the Sabbath was the last of the 39 rules in the quote tradition of the elders that stipulated the kinds of work prohibited on the Sabbath. They had a whole list of this stuff. They had a whole list. This is just, look, this is just one of hundreds of rules the Jewish leaders had added to the old Testament law. And as we can see, they put them right on the backs of the people right on the backs of the people. This is, a, this is a perfect example here of that. There is no end to the list when it comes to legalistic rules. The, the, it will never end. If you approach anything, any command in a legalistic way, you will keep adding rule after rule after rule after rule. And that's what they did. And that's what happened here. You know, Pastor Ryan preached on this in Romans. You know, He spoke, he spoke about legalism and Christian charity. But, you know, something that stuck out about that sermon, too, with me is he said this, when we force our personal convictions on others, it creates disunity in the body of Christ. And how does it do that? Well, it's like this. When we make up all these rules and try to put them on everyone else, it eliminates the room for grace to operate in the church body. If the church is nothing but a place with a list of rules that everyone has to completely adhere to, then there's no room for love and forgiveness to abound. There's no room for it. Are you tracking with me? Legalism takes the life right out of the church body. If all we do is make rules and spend our time on making sure everyone obeys those rules, then we will have no time to do the quote one another's that are in the scriptures you know the one another's goes goes right along with our lettuce okay it's like greet one another so look if we're all this about this legalism it's instead of greeting we will spend our time judging judging hairstyle judging clothes what translation of the bible they're carrying maybe judging matt's nice full beard (laughs) Or Noah that he can't grow on? (laughs) Sorry, guys. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? There's a lot of one another's in the Bible that we are supposed to be doing. Be kindly affectionate to one another. Give preference to one another. Live peacefully with one another. Encourage one another. Accept one another. There's a lot of one another's in the Bible that we are to do. Admonish and warn one another, serve one another, be patient with one another, bear one another's burdens. Be kind to one another, submit to one another, be hospitable to one another, pray for one another. Love one another like Christ has loved you. Legalism crushes all of that, legalism kicks one another instead of loving so look at that list that I just said that I just went through and tell me which one of these did the Jews apply to the man who had just been set free from bondage where was the love where was the praise for God imagine having a brother in Christ who got angry because you helped a person in need on the wrong day of the week Roll that out. Here's something that the children of God have to know. If the church spends its time applying their legalistic views on each other, creating a list of do's and don'ts, the end result, listen, the end result, this is the truth, I promise you. The end is that they will end up adding words to the gospel, they will end up adding words to the scriptures they will end up putting themselves above God. I guarantee you. that's where the road of legalism will take you every time. And, and this, you know, I'm not talking, you know, I'm not talking about sin when I speak of do's and don'ts. Okay. I'm talking about holding someone accountable to something that God is not holding them accountable to. That's how to sum that up. And you know, what's encouraging Today, as your pastor, as your pastors, I'm speaking for Pastor Jared and Pastor Ryan here. I'm sure they'll agree with me here. It's a blessing to know that this body of Christ is more concerned about love than judging. That is a true blessing. You know, we get to spend time with you guys and we see see what, you know, all you are doing and behind the scenes and what you're doing for each other. It is a blessing. We see how you love the Lord your God. We see how you love others, and you do it all for His glory. So you know, you guys are encouraging and a true blessing, and you know, your light shining. So keep on loving, and keep letting that light shine. It, it, as I was writing this out, I get this text: "Hey, praying for you. Uh, how can I pray for you?" So I sent back an answer: "Hey, pray this." They sent me back scripture. <laughs> I love it. Here, Pastor, get this straightened out. I love, I love it. It's so awesome. I was like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's good stuff. Anyway, so back to the Jewish leaders. Not only did they have a rule that said you could not carry anything on the, on the Sabbath, but they had also created a law that said no one could heal on the Sabbath because healing was considered work. Do you, do you see how the list doesn't end? It, it just doesn't end. You know, we had this saying that behind every rule is a story. So if you read a dumb rule, there's a story behind it. Either you or one of your friends probably did something. Better. Probably a lot of rules for my stories. But, uh, but you know, listen, I was wondering, did, did they have a big problem with people healing on the Sabbath? Was that really, you know, something they had to have a committee about and fix this? Was, was healing on the Sabbath causing so much commotion that they had to stop and make a law for no more healing on the Sabbath? But They had it. You know, what I can say is that when Jesus came town, they did have a problem with people getting healed on the Sabbath. So I'm guess you know, it's good they had that law in place, you know. Maybe they were ahead of their time. I don't know. We have recorded in the scripture seven times that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. He may have done it more, but, but it is recorded seven times. Jesus, Jesus sends a demon out of a man. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus healed an invalid man. Here we see in John, all done on the Sabbath. He heals a, a man with a shriveled hand. He restores a crippled woman. He cures a man with dropsy. I think I got that. drop a lot of stuff jesus gives sight to a man born blind all on the sabbath all on the sabbath so why was jesus doing this why was he doing that why why did he do all this on the sabbath well one reason was was he was challenging all people to take a real look at god's command regarding the sabbath look into its true purpose the sabbath was a day that was to bring honor to god By worshiping God on that day. And 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 it wasn't just worshiping in that way. Another way that brings honor to God was helping people in need. Where, Where does all the law hang? All the law hangs on two commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That brings in worship. When you love God that way, you worship God. The other command is what? Love your neighbor as yourself, as you love yourself. That's helping others in need. So the question is, would God have been pleased if Jesus had ignored these needy people just because of what day it was? No, not at all. So he asked, by doing these healings on the Sabbath, did Jesus really violate the law of God? And of course, the answer is no. We know that the Holy One of God who came to fulfill the law, Matthew 5, 17, never violated the law of God. Jesus saw people in need and helped, and he did it without looking at a calendar. He did it out of love. Now, five times when these healings occurred, it led to a confrontation with the religious leaders. Jesus knew this was going to happen. He knew it. Each time he was confronted, he was actually confronting their interpretation of the law and against their particular rules. One confrontation I want to point out to show you how sacred they viewed their interpretation is in Mark 3. Jesus challenged the religious leaders with the question of doing good on evil or doing good or evil on the Sabbath. He asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Guess what their response was? They remained silent. They wouldn't answer that simple question. The healing that Jesus performed right right before them gave them the answer to their question. Doing good and saving life is lawful even on the Sabbath. But using the Sabbath rule to do evil or to kill uh, is an ungodly perversion of the law. So they had the answer to the question, but they remained silent. How could you remain silent on such a simple question? You could watch our Senate hearings. <laughs> <laughs> kind of the same thing. Back to here. Confronted with Jesus's undeniable power to heal and restore, the religious leaders passed up their chance to reflect on the possibility that they were wrong. Admitting that you're wrong is tough to do, and the men said, okay. It's tough to do. They couldn't do it. They, They didn't want to do it. Instead, they dug their heels in and doubled down on their position." In their hearts, in their hearts, they knew that doing good is lawful on the Sabbath. They knew that. And that should have driven them to the scriptures to check their interpretation of the commandment with the word of God. They needed to examine their beliefs to make sure that their belief is biblical and in line with the word of God. We all should do that. Hey, just a simple examination of the miracles and a simple simple examination of the scriptures maybe would have sent them to Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. Maybe they 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 would have understood that the Messiah was finally present with them. Listen to what Isaiah had prophesied. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy, Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. What did Jesus tell John the Baptist when he asked, Jesus, are you the one? And he tells the guys that he tells the guys to go back to John. He said, you go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. Just a simple search would have led them to the Messiah, would have led them right to the one who was standing before them. But instead, what did they focus on? Who is this man who said this to you? Who said, take up your bed and walk? Who is this man? How dare him cross our rules? They came with an agenda and the truth went right by them. I'm sure this man who had been healed was doing something that he had not done in 38 years, maybe didn't understand it. But when they confronted him and began to question him and began to, con- and began to condemn him, I bet his knees started shaking. <laughs> something he probably didn't understand or felt before. But here he is trying to rejoice in his newfound freedom in the temple, praising God. And instead of being able to worship, he's confronted by the authorities. I'm sure he he didn't know how to respond to this. His response, you look at his response, he's trying to evade the responsibility for violating tradition. But he's like, you know, hey, I'm just doing what that guy told me to do. You know, this wasn't of my own doing. He told me to. He blamed Jesus for his behavior. That should make his knees shake some more for doing that. But verse thirteen. This this had to be the craziest day of this man's life. Look at verse thirteen. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. And as there was a crowd, as there as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him. See, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. What a day. He gets healed, yahoo, dancing on the ceiling. He goes to the temple and offers a sacrifice. He's praising God and celebrating. The Jews approached him him and asked, who told you to carry your mat? Now he's in fear and confusion. The celebration is gone. The praise is gone. Jesus comes back to him and says, see, ye, see that you're well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. My goodness, his head had to be spinning. Poor old fellow, what a day. What a day. I'm sure the words that he had heard from the one who had made him whole went right into the depths of his heart. I bet he went right back to worshiping God again. Jesus sought him out, gave him a warning. He gave him grace by healing his body. But now God gives him truth to heal his soul, to make him whole again. Jesus is saying, don't get comfortable with your physical healing. You have a bigger problem to deal with. He's saying to him, there's something more important than just a physical healing. What's more important than that? Yeah, it says we're out here all healthy. What's more important than that? Salvation of the soul. That means turning from sin, repenting, and turning to Jesus. Sin no more, he says. Turn from sin. So picture this. When this guy hears those words from Jesus, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you, he might have been thinking, I- I've been paralyzed for 38 years. Lonely, laying in my own filth, barely hanging on to this physical life for 38 years and you're telling me there's something worse can happen to me? This will give you an idea how long 38 years are since I'm looking at this young right here. If you commit a crime in America and if you get a life sentence, you get 15 years in prison, that's a life sentence, 20 years in some states. This man has done two life sentences on his bedding. And he's thinking there's something worse that could happen to me. How can it get any worse? I have the answer. Jesus has the answer. What could be worse than what he had gone through for all those years? Eternity without God is worse. Eternity in hell is worse. So you see, Jesus was not just interested in healing this man's body. Not at all. It's far more important that his soul is healed from sin. This man and anyone else who hears this message needs to do what Jesus has said to do. Repent. Stop sinning. Turn from sin and come to salvation in Jesus Christ. He preached the gospel to this man. He gave him the greatest healing of all, the greatest miracle of all. Repent. Turn from sin. Come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Verse 15, the man went away. This is after Jesus gave him the gospel and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Now, some say that this man ratted Jesus out. That when he found out it was Jesus, he went back to the Jews, you know, trying to to take the heat off himself for carrying the mat. But I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's the case here. This, this, This man, he was free from their harassment. They had let him go. He had already left. They were not concerned with him. They were looking for the one who healed and gave commandments that did not line up with their rules. They were done with this guy. But guess what? He went back to them. He sought them out. He goes back. When did he go back? After he knows who Jesus is. What we we see here is the one who had been healed, the one who had been made whole, confessing with his lips that the one who had saved him was indeed Jesus Christ. Let me tell you who did this not ratting him out. No, no. He went down. He didn't waste any time. As soon as he found out that it was Jesus who had revealed himself to to this newly born soul, he sought out the very ones who had previously interrogated and criticized him because he was not ashamed anymore. He was bold in his witness. And he said, it is Jesus Christ who has made me whole. He went back praising God, turned into an evangelist and was sharing the gospel with the Jewish leaders. He wanted to pay tribute to Jesus. He was not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I love to see a sad situation turn out so beautiful. amen. <clears throat> a bunch of invalids. Made valid. Praising God. Giving Jesus the glory. Not ashamed of the gospel. I love it when the story ends with Jesus. I love it when the story ends with Jesus getting the praise. Amen. Now to show that the Jews did not care about this man's healing, nor did they not care about this person at all, the Jews immediately went after Jesus. Their chief desire was to apprehend Jesus and punish him. They didn't have time to celebrate a soul being set free from bondage, which they should have. That's a big deal, right? There should have been a party for this guy somewhere. You know, we as believers who understand what salvation is, we we need to really celebrate when one gets saved. You know, we kind of don't think about it as much, you know? We don't make a big deal, you know? We... We, we need to because we are witnessing the greatest miracle that can happen, a saved soul. You know, I've seen people come around and announce, hey, I got saved. And the response will go, well, isn't that special? <laughs> it, it, it's more than just special. This is a big deal. That's why when it comes to baptism. Man, it's time to worship God and celebrate. We just don't dunk them and give a number. Hey, that's three. Hey, that's four. Hey, that's five. No, we, we tell their testimony. or let them tell their story. And say, hey, this is what God has done in my life. We shout that from the rooftops or, or at the shore at Car Lake, you know. Salvation is a big deal. And we need to stop and rejoice. Throw a party. One saved soul is a big deal, but the Jews didn't have time for that, nor concern for this one soul. Verse 16, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. All right, so this is where we see the gears changing here in the text. You know, when the the light shines on darkness, the ugliness is revealed, right? When evil and darkness is brought to the light, it, it tries to fight back. A lot of times, the brighter the light gets, the more opposition grows. And that's what's happening with Jesus. His, his lights get brighter and brighter. He's confronting them again and again. But, you know, the opposition grows because evil cannot hide in the light, so it comes out fighting. And that's what happened to Jesus. The tide of opposition has been growing towards him. His light in a sense has gotten brighter and now it's it has become a full-on assault on him. If if you were to go through uh, the recorded attacks on Jesus, you would see that it could all be summed up with what John said in chapter one, verse 11. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. That's what has happened. The Jewish people were hostile to him because of of both their hypocritical legalism, as we have seen today, and their misconception concerning his mission. Remember, they're, they're looking for what? A political, military messiah who would free them from the yoke of Rome. Instead of being set free from the bondage of sin. See, they were looking for that physical healing, not that spiritual healing that they all needed so desperately. So in here in chapter five, we see the beginning of their hatred towards Jesus really being revealed in the light. You know, in chapter three and four, as we went through that through those, we saw that they kind of had reservations about Jesus. But five on into seven, their outright rejection of Jesus is brought to a head. You know, we had the healing of this man on the Sabbath signals the beginning of that hostility. And we will see that hostility intensify in chapter six when he goes to Galilee. Remember, they're, they're, they're unwilling to accept his teaching that he is the bread of life. So Jesus just keeps pouring the truth out, keeps pouring the truth out, and the opposition just keeps growing and growing. We'll get to chapter seven, and it records the hardening of the uh, of the of their official uh, opposition right there. And the religious leaders then uh, seek to arrest him. They're unsuccessful, but they're, they're, they're ready to arrest him. They're ready to kill him. So actually, as we come to this second half of chapter five in in John, it's one of the most profoundest passages in the gospel. It sets forth the divine glory of the incarnate son of God. And really what makes this incredible, what's so incredible about this passage is that it's the Lord's own teaching concerning his divine sonship. These are the words of Jesus telling us who he is. So the way this section breaks down is like this. Jesus says he's equal with God. So when people go, well, Jesus is a good teacher. We're going to dig into all this next week. But, you know, like he is. He just claimed to be God. We've got to deal with that. So he tells that he's equal with God, and then he tells about his authority because of who he is. So look down at verse chapter 16 as we close this out. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So right here we see Jesus. He he just threw another log on the fire. He's ready. He's ready. Jesus did work on the Sabbath according to their man-made laws. He said he broke it, that they broke the law. And Jesus responds to their fake charges this way. How'd he do it? My father is working until now and I'm working. You know, not only is that a mouthful right there, but those are fighting words to the religious leaders by then. The Sabbath controversy was enough to cause them to hate Jesus, but for Jesus to make the claim that he is God or that God is his own father. He says, my father, he doesn't even say our father, my father. With that statement, Jesus has crossed the line, they would think. And that was impossible for them to accept. And, you know, we could kind of understand their anger here a little bit. Their anger may be out of ignorance, but we have to understand where they're coming from. uh, To them, God has no equal. That's right. That's good. That's true. To them, this is a hill worth dying on. And so for them, anyone who claims to be one with God would be a blasphemer. What have they been taught their entire life? What have they been saying for centuries? Deuteronomy 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's all they're thinking. The Lord is one. You shall love your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. So when Jesus said, my father The Jews clearly understood what Jesus meant. In other words, Jesus is saying that he is united in nature and purpose with God the Father. He is saying that me and the Father are one. No questions. No questions. That's a game changer. Because the punishment for a blasphemer is death. Unless you could prove otherwise. They didn't consider that. Jesus said, my father is working until now and I'm working. Jesus is now clearing up this working on the Sabbath law. You know, the good works we just talked about. He's saying, look, this, this ain't right. This is not what God's doing. He tells him God has been continuously working. And he's saying, I have been continuously working too. You see, when they kind of confronted Jesus with his unlawful conduct working on the Sabbath, he simply replied that they were doing only that he was doing only what his father was doing. You think the mind of the guy that got healed, you think his head was spinning this day. The Jews were having a tough day also. You know, they're trying to peel back the layers of truth that Jesus is laying out for them and they can't keep up. God's Sabbath. God's Sabbath rest had been broken by man's sin. And ever since the fall of man, God has been seeking lost sinners and saving them. God has been at work doing good the entire time and they can't get their mind around that. They can't do it. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Yes, God has been working the entire time doing good. Jesus pointed them to the continuous work of God. God sustains the universe 24 hours, seven days a week. He doesn't rest from that on the Sabbath. Think about it. If God stopped every kind of work on the Sabbath, nature would fall into chaos and sin would overrun the world. Genesis 2 says that God rested on the seventh day. Yes, he rested from the work of creation, but began the work of sustaining the creation. God is at work saving souls even on the Sabbath, just like Jesus. You know, God's not like, "Oh, there's a soul that needs saved," but you know what? It's sunset on the Sabbath. Oh well, I guess he'd just spend eternity in hell. Nothing I could do about that. It makes sense, does? It? It's not true. God works continuously to bring men and women back to the back into fellowship with Himself. He provides a means of redemption. He sent out the gospel message to every generation from the time of Adam's fall to the present time. God has been working. And that's what Jesus said. And the same is true of the Lord Jesus. He was engaged in his father's business. They are in the business of saving souls. So Jesus' love and grace could not be confined to only six days of the week. He's just like the father because they are one. God does good even on the Sabbath. So let's sum this up. So next week we can dig into who Jesus says he is. Here we see the Jews became more determined than ever to kill the Lord Jesus because he was, he not only had broken the Sabbath, but he had claimed equality with God. It was It was like they had a verdict already, just looking for a crime when it came to Jesus. They said he broke the Sabbath and Jesus explained that he really didn't. He was teaching them about who God is and teaching them that God is nothing like the rules and regulations that they had put on the backs of the people. They did not realize that God never intended the Sabbath to impose hardship on any man. They could not see that the love that the love that God has for souls and God's timing. And because of his love on that Sabbath day back then, God decided that this man would not suffer one day longer. In his timing, he showed this man grace and he gave him truth. But the Jews were blinded by hate and legalism and never saw the love of God. So Jesus tops it off by saying He is one with the Father. He is equal with God because he is. So how did the Jewish leaders react to that? Kill him. Kill him. They could not dispute his claims about doing good on the Sabbath. There was no argument there, was there? They could not disprove his claim of being God because all the signs point to God. So they set out to destroy him and get, get him out of the way. They hated him without cause. John 15, 18 says that they ignored the good deeds that he performed for the helpless and the hopeless and centered their attention on destroying him nothing new under the sun people hate jesus without a cause today they do not investigate the evidence they discount the love that he has had for that he has for humanity they don't read his words they hate without a cause So I say to anyone that's here today that doesn't know Christ as their personal Savior, don't be that guy. Don't be the guy that doesn't search the scriptures. Don't be the guy that doesn't look at the evidence. Be the one who searches out and find out the truth. Is Jesus Christ the Son of God? Is he the Messiah? Is he the one that God sent to provide salvation for all who would believe? Is Jesus the Savior? Search it out. Don't be blinded by hatred. Amen. Amen.